Welcome to The Problem, a Lockwood & Co. podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. This week, we will be talking about the first episode, This Will Be Us, written and directed by Joe Cornish, and credit to Jonathan Stroud, who wrote all the Lockwood & Co. novels. Yeah, this is like a pretty close adaptation for the first episode, I felt like. He's sticking pretty close to the books because the kickoff is like so strong. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. I remember watching this episode the first time and genuinely thinking to myself, are we still in the first chapter? Like by the time we get to the end, which like technically yes, but also no. It, But I just remember having no idea how they were going to be splitting up the book over. Cause I don't think I knew that they were doing two books uh, when mm-hmm. I started it. I, I genuinely don't remember. And so I was just like, how are they splitting this up? What is happening here? But it's a good episode. It's it might be my favorite episode of the season just because it's such a strong opener. It's super smart. It's yeah. like so many good things about this episode, I think. Uh, before we dive into it, though, I did just want to shout out uh, a social media account that is definitely on Tumblr. And I think it's on Twitter and Instagram also. The at uh, Save Lockwood and Co. handle, username, whatever. Oh, cool. When you, at least on Tumblr, they are the people who are saying, you know, today's hashtags are this and you can post something about this. If you look them up, they talk about other shows that uh, Netflix has canceled and that have successfully been picked up by other networks and why they think this one might has a chance and that sort of thing. They're just, they've got a lot of information and they're kind of heading the uh, save the show battle. Battle is the word I said there. Okay. Um <laughs> Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's like a organized campaign and not just like, oh, it should be organically grassroots or something like nothing works that way. There's always got to be some people at the head of the ship. Yeah, but they're not involved with the show at all. So it is still kind of organically grass. Well, it's grassroots oh, totally. at any yeah. rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. but with some organization. Um, so, yeah, I just recommend and they can link you to anything. They have all they have like instructions on how to vote for where the show was nominated for Best Drama Series at the National Film Awards and and everything going on there. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, because we mentioned Joe Cornish and this is from his uh, his company. Complete Fiction. And uh, let's say that again. I'm sorry. Complete Fiction. Complete Fiction, right. And uh, And this was, I don't know if you know this, but this was the first thing that they ever wanted to produce when the first book came out. Like they tried to get Lockwood and Co. and like wrote up a whole treatment about it when the first book came out years ago. Mm-hmm. And like, but then it went into movie rights and it just sat there and did nothing. And so as soon as the rights came back to where they could be adapted, they jumped on it. So they like really care about this franchise. Yeah. I I had read that they had bought the rights or had looked into the rights years ago, but I hadn't put together that like the books would not have been finished at the time. Yeah, they just liked it on the strength of this first one, so. Interesting. Yeah. Well, let's dive into episode one, where we start with a view of the ghost lamp. I love these first, like, three minutes. They are perfection. Yeah, yeah. It is, I'm trying to think, like, with the view of the ghost lamp, I don't remember that. Uh, the camera sort of comes down and we see the the light flickering on and then the oh you mean okay pull up you mean the the green lights oh yeah that okay <laughs> okay so like 
I this this doesn't make any sense at all. But like you were talking about the ghost lamp, and I'm thinking of like the skull in the jar thing, and I'm like, but that's not a lamp, Alan. That's not how lamps work. They don't have skulls in them. <laughs> but uh, so like these green lights, I I was like, okay, in London, are these just like? Do they just have green lights everywhere? Is this uh, a thing? But this is a world building thing, right? Yes. I I don't think the books ever actually say what the lights do or if they do anything. Maybe they uh-huh. make ghosts more visible. That's what I'm going to go with. Um, and I don't think the show ever addresses them at all, other than they have this creepy kind of greenish light out at night. And I think it's great. Oh, it's super atmospheric. And it like sets the color palette tone especially for this episode, but like mm-hmm. for the whole show where mm-hmm. it's like, it's all greens and yellows um, and, and stuff like that, which is like great atmosphere. And then immediately we have the Lucy and Lockwood banter and the camera, like switching to all of their gear before we see them. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And it sets up both with, I think the lights and focusing on the gear, how, all of this like supernatural ghost stuff is going to be extremely materialistic. We're not mm-hmm. like, you know, doing spells. We're not like having incantation circles. We're not like whipping out a spell book to bind the ghost. This is all like stuff that interacts with ghosts. That's how this world works. Yeah, that's interesting. Yes, that is a good setup. I definitely did not have a mouthful of tea to like... <laughs> continue talking to you right i just my next note is after mrs hope starts talking because i I don't know the flow from the car to the door and what they're saying i i would be so interested to talk to somebody who has not read the books if if they like picked up on what was going on and i don't know it would be so i don't know i think it sets up what we get later um for one thing it sets up like lucy's competence we have Lockwood yes. is like testing her and she's passing with flying colors. But then later in the episode, we have that exact same thing where Lockwood is like calling out orders and she's like, why would I do that? And yeah. he's like, no, no, that's not what I meant. I meant this plan. And she's like, that also does not make sense. Um, so she like knows the rules better than Lockwood. Yeah. The rules that he created. The rules he created. <laughs> Which is like a dynamic in the team. Yes, love it. So then they're outside the house and uh, a lady shows up who gives them some forms and talks about her husband having passed away. And I love this bit because when she says it, both of the camera like goes back to Lucy and Lockwood and they both give like a perfectly in sync sympathetic nod. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So sorry. Yeah, just... This is a Tuesday for us. Yeah, exactly. It just gives like, oh, yeah, we've talked to five other people whose husbands died this week, but we understand we have to, you know. Right. (laughs) This is part of the job. Yeah, it's so good. (laughs) It's also where Lucy like accidentally says adults are pretty useless when trying to like talk shop with this woman. Yeah. And I, I love a show that in the first five minutes is going to put out its thesis statement. It's really good. Yeah. It's really good. Lockwood like gives her a look and looks back at her and like gives her his best smile. And he's like, what we mean is, 
<laughs> yeah, they can't see ghosts, basically. Which is like an important note to hit for the audience. Yes. And is like <clears throat> the exact way that this show is effortless in a lot of its world building. So there's, good. Yeah, there's nothing like Lockwood saying to Lucy, as you know, Lucy, adults cannot see ghosts. We get it in this moment instead, which is like very funny and speaks to character. Lots of things happening at the same time. Yeah. Although I will say the next section, the flashback section, we do get a lot of that stuff, but it works so well. Like we do get a lot of somebody saying, this is how you do this. This is this. But because of how it, how they did it, it, it still works. Oh yeah. And it's layered. You need to say these things multiple times for the audience to like really have it sink down deep. Yeah. But in those scenes, she is a new learner too. Yeah. So like it's, you know, here she's like an experienced ghost hunter. So it's totally different. But that's what I love about the world building here is like, there's a lot of confidence right up front storytelling wise of like, mm -hmm. you're going to get this audience. I trust you to like keep yes. up with us. Yes. Yeah. I, if anybody out there has listened to any of my other podcasts, you know, I hate it when the writers think the audience is dumb. Yeah. And this show never thinks that. Mm -mm. It just thinks adults are dumb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I guess with us is, you know, that is, yeah. yeah. But that's fine. We're fine with that. <laughs> but then we move inside the house, uh, which is a nice, creepy, dark place. And there's this wonderful, very not costly special effect that happens throughout the series that we get for the first time mm -hmm. that is beautiful, mm -hmm. where all of the sound effects are smothered when Lucy, like, turns on her psychic ability to listen. Yes. It's one of my favorite things in this show. And it puts us, like, in her shoes. We are with Lucy. It kind of, like, establishes to me that this is mainly her story. Yes, because, yeah, and the camera zooms in on her face, and then you're suddenly, like, you're still looking at her, but you are in her point of view. Yeah, you can hear her breath the way yes. that she would. Yeah, all of the close sounds to her and everything else like fades away. It's it's really, really effective. Yes, I agree. Um, that is a very smart note to write down here. My note that I wrote about this <laughs> is that when Lockwood says, you know, should we tune in? They And, you know, they both put down their bags and both of them close their eyes. But like Lockwood's power is sight. So why... <laughs> It also bothers me. I Why was like, he is he, what is he doing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's great. I mean, I, did a, I can understand ahead. it. It would look weird. Like it, it fit the scene. I didn't even notice until I was taking notes for it. So. Whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. It definitely works. Especially for like a first time viewer who doesn't mm -hmm. know anything about the world. Like it's, that's the right decision, but it is weird once you know what's going on. Yeah. I was going to ask you. So like, he mentions uh, that he should have brought his sunglasses. And I feel like in the book, Lockwood is always wearing sunglasses because of his <laughs> psychic power of being able to see where people died. Not always, but he it does happen sometimes in the book. Yes. Yeah. I just I guess I picture the book character with his glasses on all the time as like a compensation for like, I mean, they live in London. So there'd be like a lot of places where people died. Oh, yeah. I never thought about that. And so it would be like straining on his eyes all the time. I assume they didn't do that in the show because they just couldn't make it look good. Yeah, it would be cheesy. That's what I was going to ask yeah, you. Like, I, I do feel like it would change the tone of the scene. Yeah. 
because he never wears his glasses. And this is kind of the only mention that we get of it. Yeah. I wonder if they would. I guess, you know what? From now on, I'm just going to say when season two happens, which is yeah, perhaps dumb, but that's what's going to happen. <laughs> um, but like the opening scene of book three, he is wearing his sunglasses, but it is also kind of an emotional scene. So they might want his face there, you know, like that might have been another uh, factor that they um, the actor, Cameron Chapman, is a very good with his facial expressions. And oh, so yeah. I can see where they would not have necessarily wanted to cover that up. Yeah. And, you know, sunglasses can be like uh, in a dark room can be like a pretty affected look. Yeah. And uh, and you wouldn't necessarily know why he's doing it and all this stuff. I also think there's like kind of a trick going on with Lockwood's presentation in the first episode. Like if you don't if you're just coming in absolutely cold and this is the only information you get, I don't think it's until three quarters of the episode that you can actually trust Lockwood to be like the person that he pretends to be a lot of times because he's coming off as like compensating and like inadequate sometimes. And it's only like much later in the episode near the end where we see like, Oh, he actually can deliver the goods. And so to have him in sunglasses might even make that like much worse. Mm. So I don't know. It was just like a thing that I noticed that they mentioned the sunglasses as like maybe a, a tip of the hat to book readers to be like, yes, we know about this, but think through people. It, <laughs> it would be a little goofy. It would be, I, it would be fun to see at least once or maybe that would make it worse. I don't know. Just to see how it would actually look. I'm so interested in so much of the like behind the scenes stuff. Like, did they try it out and think, eh, no, that doesn't work. It, yeah. And like, there's a scene later that I just really wanted, you know what? I'll talk about it when we get there. So then we have the Lucy. hears the crashing of the husband's body down the stairs. Mm. And that was also really well done because that's an effect that again, takes basically zero extra money, just some sound effects and some camera right. work. But is but puts you there and it felt like it like it was creepy yeah and ruby stokes's reaction is really what sells that yeah that she reacts as if somebody really did fall down the stairs on top of her and uh and of course like if you did see the behind the scenes of it nothing happened at all there was not even any sound so like th it's all her acting i think yeah it's that, good yeah uh, and then they get tea I know. So and I think, this is like yeah. a very British show. <laughs> I love this. It cuz I too always want tea and then feel better when I have some. So when I was reading the books and watching the show, I was like, "Yes. Yes, I I am drinking tea right now. I it's the be I the, the tea and biscuits uh presents in the books and the show are a strong reason why I love this series so much. I love that they kept it so British. There's so much British stuff here. And that this exact thing happens in the book too. And I remember being surprised by it that we're like, we're in a haunted house. We just had an encounter with a ghost and it's like, want to break for tea. And that's kind of like the humor of the book is a lot of that same kind of stuff where it'll be like, they'll be reading a book and it will describe the very gross, like body parts melting off of this thing. And then someone else will walk into the room and be like, dinner is served. Here's yeah. the chicken. You know, like, yeah. so like that's part of setting the tone early in the book, but it's also just like, uh, I think part of it is getting the 
emotional comfort level for these characters correct because they need to be in a certain frame of mind to confront the ghosts yes and like tea and biscuits can help love it they also have some good banter in the kitchen it's great yeah their energy is like really really good um cameron chapman and ruby stokes have awesome chemistry yeah i yes at all times i am also drinking tea during the podcast what type of tea are you drinking i this is like a vanilla caramel i have no idea of brands it's a black tea oh it has caffeine i'm drinking a proper yorkshire tea the company is called bigelow i don't know what that means oh i've i've had bigelow they're not they're not bad so after their tea they head upstairs and they have some good banter and tuning in and then they check out the back room and just investigate around I guess. Yeah. And we get an important note here that again, I appreciate like the way that the world building happens about um, chains versus iron filings. Yes. And how, so we know just from that, that like iron really matters in fighting ghosts somehow. Um, But it's not like Lockwood kind of like taking chains out of their duffel and saying, you know, Lucy, as you know, iron chains are the best to use against class two ghosts because of blah, 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 blah. It's her saying, I think we need chains and Lockwood being like, yeah, I forgot them and I'm going to blame it on George. And so there's like character dynamics happening. We're getting information about the world with the chains mm-hmm. and like all of that. It feels pretty effortless and like real storytelling. And I feel like this is the first time that we see and and we haven't even really dived into how the agency is set up or what the rules of an agency are or anything like mm-hmm. that. But if you know all that, you really see that this is the first time where Lockwood really, really, really wants to be taken seriously as an adult, but is still a teenager who will forget the most important thing. Yes. Yeah. And I really appreciate that about this story that they're not super hyper competent children who are like able to go up toe to toe with adults necessarily they make teenager mistakes all the time which is great that's i think that's really strong and this is probably the first spot where when i was going through the story for the first time i was like oh lockwood is like han solo if he was optimistic instead of sardonic like interesting (laughs) He's like full of crap a lot of times, but he's like, but it'll be great. It's all going to work out. Uh, Whereas like, you know, Han Solo is like spinning his crap and Princess Leia is like, who's worried? You know, like (laughs) clearly you're anxious, Han. Uh, Clearly Lockwood knows that they should have the chains. And he's like, iron filings will be fine. It's totally cool. We got this. It's okay. I've never really thought about him as similar to Han Solo, but I I can see... I can see what you're saying. Uh, And then very shortly after that, we get our first glimpse of Annabelle. Yeah. I like the ghost effects. Um, The the kind of smoke rising off of them and stuff. Uh, I think this is really strong. Yeah, I do too. I think they, obviously I have no idea what their budget was or how much these things cost, but I think they spent their money really wisely because there was never a a time in the entire series where I thought, eh. (laughs) <laughs> that, yeah, you know yeah. so 
every, all the special effects and, and the lighting around the special effects, because I know that that can sometimes be the thing that puts them out. I think it's great. I, they all look great. Yeah, I wonder how they did this, too, because I was noticing you mentioned the lighting. I was noticing that, like, she kind of apparates into like a, a cornice in the hallway or something. And the light is like bouncing off of the ceiling in ways that are interesting. And I was like, oh, I wonder if they like had lights that they were doing stuff with in the shot. And then they animated to that or, you know, how they did it. I'm sure there's an actress, you know, who is uh, doing motion capture and stuff like that, too. Yeah, definitely. for the, At least for the face. Yeah. I, and I really like how you can feel there's a real difference between when she first sees the ghost and when she has this much tighter emotional connection to it at some point. Yeah. And the, yeah, the ghost like looks more human and how, and she can understand her words and stuff. And I was like, Oh, that again is like some really strong world building storytelling where we're just not, we're just trusting the audience that you understand something just happened there. Yeah. And, and Lucy tries to connect with the ghost here. And that is also really well done because, like, at first we can't quite make out the sounds, but you can tell it's a voice. And then yeah. sort of as as she listens more, it, it coalesces into words. It's really good. It's really good. And then the ghost attacks. And Lucy, Lucy falls over the banister, which is only interesting because it's extremely similar to a scene that happens in book three. Like oh. it feels very inspired by something that happens in book three. And I would be very interested to know, like, did they do that on purpose? Like they must have, like, I don't, is there a reason they did that? Are they going to cut that from book three or did they have a plan to kind of mirror it? I don't know. It's things like that. Just maybe really fucking want a season two. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I haven't read, I haven't read book three. Cause yeah, yeah you're right. This doesn't exactly happen this way in the book. I mean, she attacks, but it doesn't uh, end up in this dramatic situation. Yeah. It's like <laughs> there's like a literal kind of cliffhanger yeah. element to this. Yes. Um, and she's like hanging on by the frame. Uh, and then this scene like frames the episode. And I was like, mm, Joe Cornish, mm, this is <laughs> like this is something that I would do and I don't approve quite so much but like i think it actually really works well for like i feel very afraid for lucy in this moment her foot is also stuck in the in the railing so it's not it's not just yeah. the picture frame that's holding her up yeah um, i remember when i read the book mm -hmm. and they got to this place i was like is this the screaming staircase are we here <laughs> like right away uh but it's not and then we go to opening credits and I love these opening credits. It's very cool. They do a bunch of like background world building if you watch them, which is very smart for people who haven't read the books. And it kind of reminds me of the X Files, the way that it's just in the images. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was going to say it has this like 80s, 90s feel to it. Yeah. And it's so good. And I'm going to take this opportunity to pause here. And talk about all the music in the show and in, in the season as a whole, I guess. Although I've really only written down the songs in this episode. And talk about how it adds to the world building. Because this is one of my most favorite things about this show. About how... So the books are kind of vague on when they take place. Like, I don't think they ever say a year or 
give anything other than World War II definitely happened in the past and the problem started oh, I guess that's true. 50 years ago. Like that's really the only time period indicators mm-hmm. we have in the books. They come out in the mid uh like 20 teens or something like that, I, I think, think. I think the first 2010. book came out in 2017. I don't oh, quote okay. me on that. I could be Really? Wrong. Wow. I could be wrong. I'm I'm just going to pause and look that up cuz now I'm curious. I feel like they came out in the early in like 2010 or 2012 something like that oh yeah you're right first published uh 2013 maybe the last book was 2017 so 10 years ago maybe that's where i was getting that number from oh wow that is 10 years ago crazy yeah, yeah. so but but in in the books they don't they don't have cell phones they don't have uh, right they don't look up things on the internet they don't look up They're things always... on the internet they're always yeah. going to the library the archives yeah right? and it gives this sense of like it's almost like it's creepier because you always have to split the party right and everybody has to go do their own thing and there is (laughs) no way to contact them right but in a way it's it's also cozier kind of because like it it just has a cozier feel to it i don't even know how to put that into words and it makes things more difficult and it's just a really great storytelling choice that was made in the books and so Joe Cornish, when he was, you know, writing the series, decided, no, this is present day, 2023, definitely. But because of the goats, it even says in the opening credits, like economic crash or not crash. It says something like right. that. Right. Um, yeah. It's it's messed up everything. And there's been no digital revolution because so many people have died and so many people have had to put their efforts into fighting ghosts and researching ghosts and doing all that. Yeah. And I love that choice. And so he made he made that choice. And so he gave everything this look of like 80s, maybe early 90s England, where everything is kind of dark and grungy. And it really just puts you in that feel of like, this is not now. It's so good. Yeah, it's very like analog. And it's very, yeah, there's like a, yeah, technology. It, it kind of reminds me of the way that they did um, the His Dark Materials thing, too, where it was like, even though it's present day in Lyra's world, it's mm-hmm. like 50 years behind because their church has like hindered the technology to yes. the point where they're like in the 1920s or something. It's the same kind of thing, just like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Joe Cornish, who has a... a, a very deep history in, with involvement in music. He mm-hmm. chose to reflect that in the soundtrack by basically only using like eighties punk and post-punk and goth music. And it's yeah, this, so, so good. This is, yeah. I'm very curious about learning about this. I don't know much about like music history. You were, you were talking about this stuff. And to me, like, I don't, I don't know. I probably like confused punk and metal too much. I was like, is the is this stuff punk? Because uh, I was like, there's nobody like headbanging or anything, but I think that's like a totally different kind of music, and I just don't know what I'm talking about. I'm I'm not knowledgeable. I'm not that knowledgeable either. I other than like I could recognize this music before looking it up as kind of punk rock type things, mm-hmm. although it is technically classified as post punk. Um, I guess punk was more 70s and this is all more 80s. Uh, All the bands featured in this episode, uh, other than the opening credits, were formed in the very late 70s and were basically 
uh, known and performing and stuff during the 80s. This episode, so, okay, the opening credit song is called Can't Leave the Night by a band called Bad Bad Not Good. They are the only, like, modern band, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And, hey, they're Canadian, like me, but they're from Toronto, so, (laughs) eh, who cares? (laughs) Canadian beef. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, For those... We have an, I, I live in Vancouver, so we just have to, you know, hate Toronto. <laughs> That's how it goes. Um, but I think they were formed in 2010, and it looks like they're still active or have been. And they are an instrumental band, and they do kind of psychedelic jazz stuff. And I really love this opening credit song, whatever. I'm just listening to it on Spotify. Uh, it's one of those types of songs that makes me want to do, like, air drums and yeah just it's like, super cool yeah thankful that i'm alone in my office <laughs> <laughs> it has a good build up to the to the end of the credits for sure yeah yeah it's good energy and i like how i don't think they do it in this episode but in uh later episodes you all, the drums always come in first before we cut to the credits and that's really good yeah both, both opening and closing because it's the same song yeah another great way to save money uh so then <laughs> the songs featured in this episode are Bella Lugosi's Dead by Bauhaus. I have never heard the name Bauhaus said out loud, so my apologies if I'm... Oh, I think that's right. Yeah. That's how I would say it. Um, and that one plays during the flashback, uh, just coming up, what we're going to talk about next. And then Sick Child by Susie and the Banshees. Uh, and those are both English... Oh, the, Sick Child plays when Lucy's in the cafe being uh, looking like she has no hope, and then it sort of carries over into her approaching Portland Row. Mm, okay. Uh, and then as Lucy unpacks, we have All We Ever Wanted Was Everything, also by Bauhaus. Yeah, and that, okay, so that one I noticed, because they that has lyrics and, and stuff that I could hear yep. while it was good. It's very atmospheric. It was Bauhaus really good. has a couple more songs on the soundtrack, and they are they are always so different from each other. Like, each song, like, it, it's they're a really interesting band. I highly recommend, if anybody liked any of the music, checking out some of their further works, because they really... I don't know. I really like them. They're good. And each song is very different from each other. The ones in the show. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And, and punk is like a very, you know, like culturally speaking is very like teens against adults kind of vibes, which is like perfect. Right. Yes. And Lockwood and co are extremely punk for like how there are no adults in our company kind of thing. And not just that, but like punk rock as a, cultural thing like nowadays when if you say something is punk rock you're generally speaking not not talking about music you're talking about an anti-establishment uh feeling Mm -hmm. and so that's another thing why i love that he went with this kind of like punk music because lockwood and co is nothing if not anti-establishment that's true yeah and well some of them some of the members more than others obviously but like in general they're (laughs) especially as they go on and get more involved in the establishment, they're just like, what the fuck? So that's another thing that I love that the music sort of brings that cultural theme in as well as setting like the feel for the time period, even though it is present day. Yeah, that's great. That's really smart. I think you're totally on target with that, that it's like, it's about a feeling of a certain time and place, but it's also speaking to these themes of the, of the characters in the world. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, so that was my rant about the music. I will talk about more songs as we get to them in yeah, future episodes. I love it. 
highly recommend uh, the the creators or whatever have an official playlist on Spotify that has all the songs on them. Oh, that's funny. I was just thinking when you were saying all this, I was like, I wonder if there's a playlist. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Although mine doesn't have one song from The Cure. And I was like, maybe that's just a Canada thing. Like maybe it's blocked here. Um, so I, I don't know. If they, <laughs> it's if, too punk for Canada. I don't, well, some, no, sometimes <laughs> it's a rights thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, so there's one episode or one song, I think, in episode two that for some reason just isn't on the playlist. And I don't know if that's just what I'm seeing here in Canada or if that's they forgot it. Or maybe they can't <laughs> add it in England for the same kind of reason. Or... Well, it's, The Cure is an English band, so. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, I'd be, I would be interested in knowing if everybody else is missing. I did not write down what song it is because I'm stupid. Um, uh, <laughs> is the, that the name of it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <No. laughs> A song from episode two in the playlist by The Cure. It's by The Cure, but I don't remember what, what it is. Cool. Yeah, so... After the uh, introduction, we we go to a screen that says three years ago. So we get a time jump uh, backwards. And Lucy's haircut is so perfect <laughs> yes. for making her a younger person. And they give her oh braces. Oh my God, I love it. They give her braces at one point. And I'm like, yes, yes that was, yes. Perfect choice. So good. Yeah. Oh, man. Because I was like, oh, God, she looks like she's 10. Yeah. Um. I love the interview that this guy has with the mother mm -hmm. and uh, how the whole thing goes. And at the end, he says to her, like, aren't you going to give me a smile, young lady? Oh. Right after she's basically sold into slavery for him. <laughs> and it, it, uh, it is just like, this is exactly why Lucy says that, you know, like adults, adults are, are useless. useless. Yeah. <laughs> when he, I, I wrote that down also because you know, before that, maybe he's just a bit of a creep, right? But when he mm -hmm. says that, I'm like, oh, no, this is fucking evil. I hate him. Yeah, he is, like, in charge of her. He, he owns her. He, yeah, it's... Uh. It's terrible. And one thing that I think is interesting that they changed from the books is that I think Lucy joins the agency when she's eight in the books. Yeah. And I get that that was maybe a money saving thing because then they, they don't have to cast an eight year old if they make her 13 instead. Uh, but also, like, can you imagine this scene with an eight year old? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's already pretty rough. Yeah. I, I will say they don't, in the books, the eight year olds don't go on missions, I think, until they're 13. Right. But still. Yeah. They have to train them up and stuff. But it's yeah. like, yeah, I feel like all of this is a little bit more accelerated, but I think it's the right choice. Yeah. Overall. It, it would have been I yeah. I and it still has a lot of emotional impact with a thirteen year old. I also yeah. just think doing this whole backstory and giving Lucy all this is probably my favorite adaptation choice that they've made. And how it yeah. has ramifications throughout. So this isn't uh really in the book this way very much. And I that's what you mean by that. Yeah. Um yeah, now, I agree with you. I think that this gives a lot more vulnerability and a lot more like insight into what Lucy is looking for in the world mm -hmm. and what she needs that she's finding at Lockwood and Co. Uh, her mother is like pretty vile. Uh, but what I like about the way that she's characterized is that she's not unusual in the world. Yes. So this is like, you can imagine that Lucy's not having a unique experience versus all the other people at this agency. It's probably exactly the same for the most part. 
for a lot of these kids. Yeah, which is horrific. Also, I just, I love, uh, so so the books were written, they're middle grade books, right? So they are aimed at, what is middle grade, like 8 to 12 or something like that? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so all of this stuff, I would say, is there, but it's all like in the background. You really have to read the subtext to yeah to understand that that Lucy, like Lucy thinks about, you know, having lost her whole team and how sad that is. But you don't really think about how, oh, she spent every minute of every day with these people from the time she was eight in the books to the time it happened when she was 16 or whatever. Right. That's eight years. And then they all died and she was the only one who lived. And so she feels responsible. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't dwell on it the same way. It mostly touches on the injustice of how it worked out. Yeah. With the owner. And and I do think even though it doesn't dwell on it, you do still still see how that motivates her. How that. Yeah. Yeah. But again, but it's all extreme subtext in the books. You really have to be looking for it. And the show, they're just like, no, no, no. We're dialing this up to 11. And Lucy is messed up and here's why. Yeah, this is the the main part of her trauma, I feel like in the book is the injustice where here it's losing her team, losing her family is really what she yeah. says. And losing Nori especially. Yeah. And it's also like important to go back to the effortless kind of world building mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm. see the effects in Nori, who we care about, of getting ghost locked. And and so we understand what that means for the thing that could happen to these characters anytime they go on a mission. Yeah. I think, I think that is a showism. like ghost luck existed in the book, but it was more of like something a ghost would do to you in the moment so that it could then touch you and kill you or I don't know, whatever, carry out its evil agenda. Right. I don't think there was anything in the book about this uh, lasting ghost lock. And I, I, I like this change too, because you know, death is bad, but this is, terrible like yeah it's really scary i would rather die you know i would rather if i had a friend or a loved (laughs) one i would rather they die because this like they're there but they're not there and then you have to like choose do you spend your life taking care of them or do you you know turn off the machines like that's right or what is even happening because it's it's like a supernatural condition is it yeah what's going on is somebody researching this you know trying to figure out if they can ever fix it i'm yeah the answer is no um well, I don't because it's a showism. I don't. I don't know. It's implied, no. But yeah, yeah. It's so, I. That's a very. I, I like this change that they've made and how it gives this really tragic overview to just everything. And it happens pretty fast. It's like we. I. I care about Nori very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I really hurt for Lucy because of the bad relationship that she has with her mother, and then this is like the first setting where she's like clearly getting appreciation from an adult when she like graduates after saving her team, they give her like the rapier and the book and she has a little graduation ceremony Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And it's clear that like, she never got that from her mom of like, good job, honey. You'd like, I'm proud of you. You did great. And the close relationship that she has with Nori, that's very sisterly. Like none of that was happening with her family and she loses like everything yeah awful i also do like the show's choice to cut out in in the books ruby had ruby sorry uh lucy had six sisters she was the youngest of seven yeah um and they cut them all out and that was absolutely the right choice 
Her sisters added nothing to the story and would have only like muddied up this yeah like point that they were trying to make here. Though I will say, uh, in both books and presumably show, we never really get an explanation for why Lucy is so powerful. And I guess mm-hmm. like uh, I I have definitely heard folklorish like seventh kids sometimes like oh, that can be a thing. Sure, yeah, that's definitely a folklore kind of thing the seventh son of the seventh son and all that yeah that um, type of thing so i thought that was interesting an interesting point that the books had but um i think her character development is definitely more important and this was yeah and it it felt like i i guess i i get what you're saying but it also felt like in the books to me that it had more to do with like treating her like a person instead of an instrument you know yeah like nurturing people actually brings out the best in them it was more of the theme I felt like from the books, then like you were destined to be a powerful uh, psychic instrument. Yes, that's true. We we do never really get an answer about that. Well, like maybe there is no answer. It's just luck of the draw. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. Oh, and we should mention in that little grade three ceremony that you talk about, rapier grade three, uh, that is the first time that Lucy is called an asset. Right. Yeah. A valuable asset. Yeah. What what a compliment. Yeah. What a humanizing way to talk about a young woman. That's what I dream uh, about. It... <laughs> being an asset to my employer. <laughs> Gotta love it. Um, also, that graduation ceremony happens at the giant gravestone yeah. <laughs> memorial thing where all of the dead kids are um, honored uh, for protecting their community. Yeah, this is grim. I feel like this would be a good place to mention here. And so in this flashback, we're getting so much world building and like so much and some of it just kind of goes whoosh that like it is truly wild that they discovered ghosts, discovered that ghosts kill a lot of people. And then they thought to themselves, hmm, how to make money. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um. I have a whole thing about this that I kind of want to talk about. Do you that... want later? Do you have a plan for it? But I just think we need to bring it up here, but we can move on. No, I, I think it's worth talking about like right now because it it is directly related to that whole thing. So yeah. there's like, I don't think that they ever say this in the show that I can remember. They don't ever talk about ectoplasm in the first episode that I can recall, but it's definitely in the book a lot. Right. Uh and, it definitely comes up in the third episode. But I, yeah, I, I think it does. They they talk about it in yeah. the book. Uh, in the show, I mean. Um, they talk about it. But there's like... So for me, I, I just always assumed that like ectoplasm is a thing that was made up in Ghostbusters. You know, like the 1980s movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like how I ever heard about it. But uh, I read like so much paranormal science fiction fantasy type stuff that I learned over time that like ectoplasm was a thing that was coined like a a word that was coined by a scientist, an actual French scientist named uh, Charles Richet. Uh, He was like in the 1800s. And this guy was like pretty important for like discovering how allergies work. Like he won the Nobel prize for that. Hmm, Interesting. Um, So like, he's like a kind of important dude. I mean, he was like a huge racist and everything like a lot of French establishment people at the time, but um, he was interested in like spiritualism and would go to like seances and mediums all the time and like watch them work 
and he was like extremely like gullible i guess he was like it's all real um and these mediums would like produce ectoplasm that would have like faces and stuff and a lot of people like found out that this was like sacking or like cheesecloth that the that they were like throwing up like they had swallowed it and then it was like oh it's all slimy and gooey like yeah they threw it up um yeah so that's gross but he was like no it's ectoplasm it is a substance that ghosts are made of or like spirits or whatever these things are because he didn't believe in ghosts and because he was a doctor he was very into like uh the body having senses and capabilities that maybe we didn't know about like they were learning about electromagnetism and how there's all these like fields out in the universe that are real but we don't have the senses to like take them in we can't sense like magnetism right Mm -hmm. and so he was like well what if there is stuff going on and some people have another sense a sixth sense a kind of psychic ability that just other people don't have and that's like a thing that could be happening um And so he like wanted to like systematically kind of intellectualize this whole paranormal kind of stuff. And that that wasn't a unique impulse at the time in the 1800s. We were intellectualizing like everything like, you know, the whole uh, industrial revolution is is all about that stuff. We're like taking control of metallurgy and architecture and what all of that stuff like has in common once we intellectualize it it stops like make the reason that we do it, that we say that we're learning about this stuff is for progress for like society. Right. Mm. But the progress always stops once we intellectualize it because now it's an economic market. Mm. Now it's something that we can make money off of and capitalism is not interested in progress. It's interested in extracting value. And so like even in his own field of medicine, Like we learned a lot about medicine in the 1800s and 20th century, but it's not like we solved perfect health. Like there's no money in perfect health. You know what I mean? Uh, And and I don't mean to be like a conspiracy theorist when I say that or anything, but there's just not the incentives. That's, that's just a fact of capitalism. There's no incentive in like fixing a problem forever. Uh, And so I think it totally makes sense in this world that once you have the problem, Mm -hmm. you really don't want to have the solution because there's a lot of value to be extracted here. And, and, you know, the people who are going to have to pay the price in their lives for, for extracting that value, they're just kids. So who gives a shit? You know, there's money Mm -hmm. to be made here. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of like book five stuff. I I could talk about with that, but obviously I'm not gonna book five stuff. Well, hopefully we see it. Yeah, hopefully. I do. I did want to also just say that during all of my like flashback notes, I wrote down in quotes, adults are useless like three times. <laughs> <laughs> they really explore that theme here. They love it. Yeah. <clears throat> and I wanted to bring attention to the scene where Nori and Lucy are talking about going to London. Uh, and how Lucy needs to be to wait to be fully qualified to get her grade four. And I think that that is such an interesting plot point because it, it's mentioned in the book that she doesn't have her 
grade four and that that is a problem, but then that just goes away. And I love that they made it like a thing here that could really mess her up and stop her from like they, they made it a whole thing that has to get solved. And I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's this whole infrastructure that of regulation that where the government is involved in all this stuff, which makes sense, but it's also like another apparatus to extract value from these kids because it's like they have to go through their little, you know, like karate dojo tests and upgrade their belts and stuff. So it's like another chance to charge them for stuff. And, and, and it's just like classic um, classism because, yeah. because if Lucy hadn't gotten hired at Lockwood and Co, she probably would have ended up on Nightwatch because you don't need parental permission or, you know, your grade four certificate or whatever to, for the poor kids on Nightwatch. Exactly. Who also are probably a lot of runaways and that type of thing. And it's less money and more danger. So it's only the agents, the people who are like going into people's homes and blah, 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 that are strictly, you know, quote unquote, kept safe by these rules that they have to uh, adhere to. As soon as you're like just a little bit below that system, though, they don't give a shit. Yep. Yep. There's no protection. And there's barely any protection. I mean, we see when all these kids die and and Nori gets ghost locked, the Mm -hmm. judicial system hands out, you know, like um, financial remuneration and like pays for Nori's health care going forward. But that does not feel like justice at all. In fact, it feels like systemically unjust in the exact way that you're talking about. Yeah, it's 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 just a lot of more reasons to be a little punk rock. Yeah. It's great. I love the way the world is set up yeah. against. Well, like I hate it, but stuff. it's great storytelling. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's very like dramatically good is what I mean. Yes. <clears throat> um, oh, and I also love in the in the trial, the way that he just throws her under the bus. Oh, yeah. What and it's just fucking... like, oh, <laughs> and it, it reminds me of like the way that the whole economy is set up just to come back to this again is like, I mean, it, it underlines how our economy is set up exactly the same. And like, even the military, you know, is mostly like 17 to 19 year olds in the United States who are deployed to like active war zones to kill other people and be killed in very dangerous situations that they can barely understand, Mm -hmm. let alone be emotionally prepared for. And then they're like, literally wounded for their entire lives psychically and physically by it but then like just the regular economy is also just like you know you go to the grocery store and it's usually like a pretty young person who is the one who has to deal with all of the you know customers all day long grinding it out to make money for a person who never comes into that store and does any work at all is like the person who's extracting all the value from them it's like that is the economy. Like if you're if you're appalled by the way that Lockwood and Co.'s world is set up, like Guess that what? is the way your yeah. world is set <laughs> yeah. up. It's just invisible. Oh man, I'm depressed now. Well, it's capitalism. I don't <laughs> yeah, know what to say. Capitalism. Um, I don't want just in general, I don't want to point out where it happened because I think that'll be a big spoiler. But in one of the conversations here in the flashback, there's a really, really good setup for like some end game book five stuff and i love how they worked it in is is really good i i remember hearing that line and being like oh shit 
that's cool that they've put that in there. Yeah, there's the foreshadowing all around is like really excellent and it's all just like the world building. It's doing multi-layer work. It's like establishing relationships, revealing yeah. stuff about character and like doing foreshadowing all at the same time. Yeah, we have that bit where Paul, the uh the her Lucy's friend on the team talks about like he has some conspiracy theories about what is actually going on like that but they don't know he did he did they don't really get into anything there mm -hmm. but that's a good setup for being like what the hell is going on and also sort of showing that the people who are so deeply involved in it also don't really know anything yeah and they're curious about it and whenever they talk to the adult about it he's just like oh well i knew marissa like i was in a room with her once yeah and like, that's what he cares about and not like what's happening. <laughs> He's just trying to like drink away his trauma and stuff from being in their position. However many years ago, 20, 30 years ago, yep. <clears throat> when the whole thing like first started and there, yeah, nobody's interested in like solving this problem. They're just like coping. Yeah. Except for the kids. The kids want to know like why they still have that, that whole thing, but it's, they don't understand like the position that the adults are in is like, you know, we can, this is a whole thing that we can do. You know, this, this whole setup is like good for us in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, so we've been kind of all over the place with this flashback, but like eventually everything goes bad and Lucy runs away to London. Yeah. She confronts her mother mm. um, after the, the trial. Face. I fucking hate her mother so much. Yeah, she says to her, all I wanted is for you to love me. And she smacks her in the face. Um, there's a really important line here, I think, that Lucy says to her mom that is like a, another big theme about the difference between adults and teens here, where mm -hmm. she says, you are deader than dead to her mom. Because she, she's saying, like, you don't feel anything for me. You don't love me. I, I don't know if that's actually true about her mother. Like, I, I think her mother is like, also dealing with a lot of stuff and it is like a terrible vile person and is a bad parent so like her reaction of anger i think speaks against the deader than deadline but it's a thing that the adults tell the kids a lot and it's more in the book than in the show that like your emotions are dangerous hmm. like literally the ghosts will feed off them and become more powerful because of your fear or anger uh, and stuff like that. And that being an adult is about suppressing all of these emotions, but the emotions are the most like strongest weapon that Lucy has. Her connection to this ghost is special and the emotional connections that she can make later on in the interview process and all that stuff. That's what's special about her. Yeah. And important. So it's like, I think it's a, big big theme these uh these emotions and how emotions are like bad according to adults i will yes that and um like all the adults that we meet in this show are old enough that they would not have been alive pre-problem but young enough that there probably wasn't that much information mm. when they were kids yeah. so it's interesting to think about how they would have grown up and what they would have known and not known about ghosts and how like, I think there's there's a line in the flashback where Lucy says to her mom that she doesn't want to be afraid all the time. And her mom says, everyone's afraid all the time. You That's know, a really good point. What makes yeah. you so special? And I feel like, like, I'm not trying to defend her mom. 
her mom is truly a piece of shit. Yeah. But generally speaking, people aren't born pieces of shit. Right. You know? Yeah. And it's interesting to think about how scared they must have been growing up. And we don't know if her mom ever had any talent. And and, and yeah. this, this is about all the adults. Like when we meet Barnes later, I, I'd be interested to know what his childhood was like too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you get the feeling that if you're involved with the agencies at all as an adult, it's because it's the only thing you've known your whole life. Mm-hmm. Probably. So you probably had some talent. And we'll talk about it more as the series goes along of like losing your talent and like the entire freak out that that must have for you existentially. Yeah. And where that puts you as an adult and then, you know, having to lead kids to probably their death and training kids and caring about kids and watching them die over and over and over has to be like a whole thing that ruins you as a person. Yes. Again, I don't want to stick up for Jacobs because again, no. Piece of shit, but it, it again, like I said, pieces of shit are made, generally speaking. So it's it's interesting to think about how. That's what I like about the story is like I think all that stuff is there, and yes. these characters are like fully human mm-hmm. in a way that's like really excellent. Yeah, absolutely, yes. It's something that is another very light world building here in all the flashback stuff that I didn't want to pass over is that when Lucy and the Jacobs company are like ghost hunting, they're all in uniforms. Right. Yep. And have standard kits that they're all taking the same things into, into the haunted houses with them as a contrast to what we saw earlier with Lucy and Lockwood just being in like whatever clothes they have. They don't, match necessarily right and that's like a very light world building element that's there to tell you the difference i appreciate that stuff speaking of which we have lucy in london rejected by all the well-known agencies because she (laughs) doesn't have parental permission or her grade four which i presume or like a letter of recommendation she doesn't have adult approval that's what it comes down to right no mom no yeah Anything. No certification, no letter of recommendation. Those are all adult credentials. And then um, at one point she's sitting in a cafe with some tea and she pulls out a little advertisement that she missed earlier. It says Lockwood & Co. And that really nice song, Sick Child by Susan the Banshee starts playing. It's so good. I love that song. Um, and, uh, and then it sort of carries over into when she's approaching Portland Row. And we get our first look at... Uh, Lucy's new home, which uh, is perfect. I love it so much. Oh, yeah. I love the house. It's very cool. I don't know anything about London, so I don't know if they, like, talk about its location in the book and, like, this matches the location in London. I think they were on location when they made the show. They found all the exteriors are filmed somewhere in London. I I forget where. And, like, Mm -hmm. all the exterior sets in general are filmed around London. Uh, The inside is a set. But still, I think in and around oh, yeah. London, obviously. Um, but yeah, so she knocks on the door. George answers, and we get George. <laughs> and I love this scene because it's word for word from the book. They didn't change a single thing, and it is just fun <laughs> when they can make that work. Yeah, it, it, it's rare in an adaptation that like a dialogue in a book works as like something you're saying out loud, as like a scene that they need to do. But any time that it does happen, I I always enjoy it. Yeah, I love George. Um, 
his actor Ali is like really really good at yes. this deadpan like who the fuck are you kind kind of punk attitude. I'm I'm gonna talk about it more in episode two, but I do think George is the most punk rock of them all, and probably the least aware of it. <laughs> yes, that's that's perfect. Yeah. I think that's yeah, that's his whole character right there. Yeah, like uh, Lockwood absolutely thinks he is the most punk rock. <laughs> And does not understand that, no, dude, you own a house in central London. Right, you, yeah. You would love the establishment if you were running the establishment. If you could be in there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's where you want to be, yeah. Or he wants to remake the establishment. George yeah, is yeah, absolutely yeah. like, no, we need to take down this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I love George. His, uh, and yeah, we immediately we get the dynamic of the three of them in yeah. the room together yeah. and this is beautiful it's great uh one thing that i like or not like one thing that i wanted to make a note of is when lucy walks into the room they do this thing when like lockwood turns around and looks at her they do great camera work here where it is very clear to the audience that this is an important meeting um and this is just another situation where I would really love to know what direction the actors were given because the way that they like stare at each other for a couple seconds without saying or moving, it's clear that the actors were told you have to act as though right away, this is an important connection. Right. And I'm just curious about like what the direction was, like what, what did Joe Cornish imagine is happening right here between them? Cause like I've read all the books. I know what their connection is. I know what's going to happen but i want to know what his intention was i don't know it's just a really great moment and i like it a lot and i don't know that's all that's super good i think it's also calibrated for a non-book reader first time watcher to be like you know for their mind to jump backwards in the frame and be like oh that's the guy oh yeah that's the guy yeah. that she's with so At this the is the place now yeah, now fair. she's there so, like, this is how is this going to work out to where they're at the thing? I find it basically impossible to look at something and, like, as though I didn't have the information that I have. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just can't wrap my head around that. <laughs> That's um, many years of training for for me on my own, uh, writing lots and lots of stories that no one has access to. But, right, uh, of course. <laughs> You just always have to like try and think from the beginner's mind of like, will this confuse the fuck out of people? Um, yeah. Hold on. I I do want to. We only said his first name, so I just want to look up George's whole name. Oh, it's uh, Ali. Oh, man, I would mess up his name though. I know he's like uh, British Iranian. Um, Hadaji Hashmati. I'll I'll be able to say it if I can look it up. <laughs> look at the spelling. Ali uh, Haji Hashmati. Um, he, yeah, I, I just want to say he's great. I, I, he is very different from George in the book. But I think mm -hmm. if they wanted to keep the, <laughs> the fat phobic dialogue from the book, they needed to not cast a fat character. So, <laughs> you know, um. Yeah, I I have mixed feelings about that part of it because uh, yeah, I don't like the erasure of like yeah no I don't like yeah the erasure of a fat character especially when it gets to be such a hero um, yeah yeah either that that's shitty but again <laughs> they're so fucking mean to George in the books and, yes like and in in ways that I'm sure 
I, I had just had this, you know, feeling in my gut that Jonathan Stroud has never been fat. So he doesn't know how mean he's being. Yeah. You know? But it's like, this it's is how terrible. teens are. This is how I was when I was a teen. Isn't this funny? And it's like, it's not funny. It's not funny at all. But yeah. it can be kind of funny. Well, like the show fixes a lot of the problems that I had with the book, which I love. Like, thank you. Like, like Lucy is forever extremely mean to other girls in the book. Um, yeah. And I hate that so much. Yeah, I don't like it either. And the show gets rid of a lot of, like, he, they even give some of her mean dialogue to George in a later episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you, actually. Love that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's so many little fixes like that that are super smart. Yeah. And, and I also, I do love that they've, uh, diversified the cast a lot. Like I think every single character. Oh, not every single character. But there was a lot of white people in the books, and they've mm-hmm. really they've thrown that out. And I do appreciate that. I I do wish George was still fat, but eh. it, it, yeah, uh, Ali does such a great job. So he's really good at his delivery, and it it does cast that initial line in a different light of like, oh, you're not the donut lady, like that. Yeah, whole thing plays differently, but it's still actually really good. Um, yeah, I mean, teenagers eat a lot anyway, or like whatever, yeah, and it's, so it's fine. It's fine. And uh, we've talked a little bit about Cameron Chapman as Lockwood, but he is perfect. I like no notes. He does yeah. that teenager trying to be a serious adult so well, and it is so good here. <laughs> and he does that sort of like buttoned up emotionally unavailable but also like i really need you to like me like Mm. he has so much going on and does it so well and i don't think we've specifically said but ruby stokes is also amazing as lucy like oh she's carrying the show yeah i I mean i feel like we've talked about it all throughout and but not just like specifically said yeah (laughs) she's a star yeah she's amazing yeah and this is cameron chapman's first gig so i think it's incredible yeah like he has so much charisma yeah Uh, i i am so interested to see where his career goes after this he's great obviously i want it to go into season two and three of lockwood and co but after that i yeah yeah. i yes i really want to see what he all three of them really but cameron chapman has so much on-screen charisma and like lucy is the main character but he he does like draw the eye when he's on screen. It's so oh, good. yeah, it's the brilliant setup, and it's like it's always in books like this. You know, like you're with Watson, so you can watch Holmes. You know, you're you're with Ishmael, so you can see Captain Ahab, and it's the same kind of thing with Lockwood. He's like a hero. He's charismatic. You kind of see him through Lucy's eyes a little bit, mm-hmm. but there's he's special, uh, and he wouldn't be as special. I feel like if we were in his shoes. Yeah, we would oh, yeah, be loaded absolutely. down with all of his insecurities and stuff, and be like, he'd be a totally different character. But I, I will say the one difference to this is that about the like uh, Sherlock Watson dynamic is that it is Lucy Watson who is the special one in this case. Yes, and that does yeah. give it an interesting twist. Yeah, yeah. So the interview, I love Lucy showing off all of her capability. We meet Skull. Well, we don't meet him, but he's there. <laughs> he's there. I love Skull. Skull's my favorite character. I mean, Lucy aside, Skull's my favorite character. You mean books, the ghost so. lamp, right? The... Right, of course, yes. <laughs> I am such an idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really, really good. This, that's the thing that like scares off the first uh, applicant or the other applicant. She yeah. like, runs out of the house because of the Skull. Um, 
I love George's energy through the whole thing where he's like constantly trying to wedge himself back closer to Lockwood. Yeah. Like we're buddies, right? Like you would never like, you know, break up with me because of her. Like we're cool, right? Everything's we're we're close. She's not coming in, right? 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 Um I just love George. I also love this is this whole sequence is like part number 2 of them being trying their best to be serious adults but so being teenagers um because they have this very serious interview and then they have the joke about the the toothbrush cup at the end and how they the way that they both laugh i i cannot explain it but that is very teenager Mm -hmm. i i just love that so much and then the biscuit rule obviously (laughs) (laughs) this is a very like First roommates yes. kind of situation, young yeah, adult absolutely. stuff. And then uh, jumping ahead a little bit when he's giving her the tour and the, the top, top security room is unlocked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The high security, high security room is unlocked. And it's like, uh, yep, let's just brush over that. <laughs> That's all the kind of stuff that so I was good. talking about yeah. earlier that I feel like undermines Lockwood as like his presentation is like... I'm very much in charge and capable, but he's constant. like he's forgetting to lock the highly secure room. He doesn't bring the chains. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, you know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but it's, I feel like all of that is building up to pay off in the scene coming up when we snap back to the frame. Yeah. it It's so good. I love every second of these first glimpses of Portland row that we get. Oh yeah. It's, it's really, really good. I love that. So they talk about the structure of Lockwood and co as a company mm-hmm. and how there's no adults, which essentially makes this business like an employee owner co-op mm-hmm. type of situation instead of like, they're not franchised out through the government agency where they're getting like government funding. Um, and that is like an anti-capitalist setup. They're like in a profit sharing thing where they're like, they live in the place where they work and like, it's just a totally different way to do the same job that gives them a different perspective that I think is essential to how they're going to interact with the problem over the arc of the like, you know, Uber story, the five book story. Yeah. Even just the, the like, Hey, you're hired. Do you also want to live here? Like that's Mm. kind of insane when you think about it, but they're just like, yep, you're in, we're we're good and now we all live together and this is something that i think the show does really well of having these moments where you really see how intimate living together is yeah, Even, yeah. especially when you're like the first couple weeks when you're just like um so Getting we're all in our other. pjs you know? <laughs> with, she comes downstairs later <laughs> And George comes out of the door. He has no pants on. Yep. And this really long T-shirt that has the steel claw on it, which I like really appreciate. I was like, oh my god, that 1960s movie. Um, yeah. Which I'm sure like Joe Cornish is a fan of that movie. It's like this weird pulp movie of this guy who gets his hand cut off and then like fights Japanese people. He's like a hook instead <laughs> of a hand and stuff. He fights like Japanese soldiers as a freedom fighter. Um, but that's, anyway, that like, so George not is a fan at all. Well, it's no, it's like, I don't know. It's like fighting evil. I don't know. Okay. Um, but it's very like pulp, you know, like comic book type okay, stuff. Gotcha. So apparently George is a fan. I don't know. Um, 
but, but he's there with no pants on. Yeah. Like, I need to go to the bathroom. And this is just living with people. Like, she sits down on the chair. The apple core is there. Yeah. And just even when she first walks into the library and is like, um, can I spend time here with mm-hmm. you? Uh, it's so good. Yeah. Um, we should mention also the don't go in there room. Yeah. That's pointed out. Um, and then eventually Lockwood brings Lucy up to the attic and is like, this used to be my bedroom when I was a kid, but you can stay here if you want. And I love this set that they've made up there. It's so cozy and homey feeling. And then this is when um, All We Ever Wanted Was Everything by Bauhaus Plays, which also has that cozy feel to it. It's I love how as soon as she sort of says yes to moving in, the 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 feel changes so much in this flashback from yeah the sort of creepy building tension feeling from the beginning to this like homey cozy feeling as soon as she moves into Portland Row it's so well done and when they like when she says yes to moving in Lockwood and Lucy like smile at each other for the first time and they're so cute <laughs> it's very adorable yeah and it, he like opens the drapes of the window for her and her face changes when she can see like London kind of spread out. And it's like, it, it kind of, for me goes back to her having that conversation with Nori Mm -hmm. about like, let's go to London. Let's start our own thing. Yeah. Let's she's like doing the dream for Nori on a certain level. She's like, I'm here. I'm doing it. I'm making it. Yeah. It's so sad. It's good. But I'm glad she got out. Yep, and she found a couple of good. Ge- well, they're they're okay, guys. Um, <laughs> uh, and then when she's talking to Lockwood in the library, he confronts her about the lack of grade four, but says, "I, I don't care. You know, you you proved that you're good. That's all that I care about." Uh, this makes me love Lockwood. Yeah, like I trust him. Yeah, for this. Yeah, that's great. And then <laughs> the best part for me. Lucy leaning in and being like, how do I know you're good enough for me? And then we cut back to. Yes. That's so, so strong. So strong. Yeah. We go back to the frame I that love, we're literally hanging off of. I love that 90% of this episode is flashback. Yep. Uh, and it doesn't like once you're a good ways into the flashback, it doesn't feel like it anymore. You're just like in it. So then the, the cut back is almost kind of jarring. It works. Yeah. It's no, very it's strong. It's good. And we don't need all the in-between stuff because you can just figure it out. You're like, oh, yeah. So they've done cases and now we're back here. And you can feel all the character work. Like everything makes sense now. Why it all played out this way. And is he good enough? And like, yes, he absolutely is. He's amazing. Yeah. His sword work. Man, I got to say like Cameron in terms of like moving that sword around. I know that it's just like movie magic, but like it's impressive to me sure he did a lot of training with it i i'm pretty sure he did oh yeah 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 it's great i love coming back to it i I love how much character they put into the sword work like when he throws the salt bomb or whatever it is at her he he like hits it with the sword he doesn't just throw it and at one point he like his like foot goes up on the wall and he bounces off of it bounce is not the right word but it's what happened Um, yeah he does like a jackie chan thing where he like wall climbs a little bit it's just so clear that even like lucy may die there's this terrible terrifying ghost that could kill them both blah 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 and he's like i still have to look cool everyone (laughs) just like a somersault yeah yeah 
I'm what sure, a badass I am. I'm sure it's not even like a conscious thought that he has. You know, he's just <laughs> excellent. Yeah. I I love Lockwood George and Lucy. They're the best. I love them so much, especially in like I love them in the show even more than I love them in the books. They're fabulous. Oh, I agree. Yeah, and he he pulls her up from there. You know, like he does save her. And the way that they just like clutch each other yes. after that. And that conversation is still like, are you good enough for me? It's like, woof, the chemistry here. I'm glad you pointed that out because this podcast, I think it's going to be an effort in me not turning into a crazy fangirl. Um, <laughs> so anytime you can point out a good connection that they have, wonderful. Thank you. It's great. It's save yeah. me from looking a little insane. So then they follow the ghost to where the source is. Which is her body in a wall. Mm-hmm. They have yeah, some... Yeah, she's plastered up there. They dig her out, but it all kind of goes bad. And then they cover it up with a silver net. But Lucy reaches in to grab a ring that is on the body's finger. Oh, and also they set the house on fire. <laughs> yeah, Lucy... Lucy uh, has a strong reaction to Lockwood almost getting touched by the ghost. And I don't think that we've said it yet, but like, obviously, if the ghost touches you, then you can be killed yes. um, or severely, severely injured anyway. I don't think it ever happens in the show. Do we see anybody get grabbed? Certainly not in this episode. I mean, the, the other it. kids that she worked with. Yeah. But, they, we, yeah. but it's like off screen. Yeah, um, but, <laughs> but they do have that bit where he pulls her up and says, did she touch you? And she says, of course not. I'd be dead. So they do right. build that in. Yep. But we don't see it happen, which is kind of a shame because in the book, Lockwood did get sort of lightly ghost touched here. And had yeah, to, that we'll talk about that more next and, episode. I think it's actually a really good choice that they made around that. Um, or I like it anyway. I do too. Uh, but uh, an important, there was an important thing that happened uh, right after they're like clutching each other. Uh, and she's like trying to tell Lockwood, like I made a connection with her Yes, and I, I felt things from her and Lockwood tells her like ghosts don't have feelings. And she's like, no, listen to me. I know what I felt. And I feel like this goes right back to the conversation with her mother where like, you're deader than dead. You don't have feelings. Mm. And the whole thing around feelings and Lucy and like trusting yourself and having intuition it's all like right here. And Lockwood, like you said, he's, I mean, as punk rock as he is, he still kind of has that establishment mentality. But what I love about Lockwood is that he will, he will trust her. Yeah. He has faith in her. And so yes. he will bend away from what he knows, you know, quote unquote knows to like what she is telling him. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah. She throws the bomb to save him, sets fire to the house. She grabs the ring because in the scenes where she's making those connections, the hand is always extended out and the ring is like um, very, very yeah. in focus. It's yes. always right there in our face. Uh, in, in the book, the ring was a necklace. Uh, but I, I, do, right. I do like this change that they've made be, because they're able to put it on the hand that is reaching out from the ghost and make yeah. it noticeable. And it, I think there are uh, other reasons for it to not be a necklace too. Well, um, yes, obviously, but yeah. Uh, that but, are smart. Yes, but this one in particular that we see in this episode is it's a super smart change, I yeah. think. Um there's th there's only like one thing niggle about it that I don't like, but we'll talk about it in a different episode. 
um, as far as changing from the book. But yeah, I like all this stuff. And uh, and then they, <laughs> they have, they have no choice but to be on the edge of the burning house yeah. and take a flying leap. I love how much this comes up for them, <laughs> jumping off buildings. <laughs> yep. I don't think the book keeps it going. The books keep it going after book two, which is a shame, but uh, yeah, it's a fun time. It's a strong ending. It yeah. makes you want to go right into the next one. Um, super, super good. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost kind of sad that we have to stop here. And that is episode one. Yeah. God, this was fun. Glad we get- <laughs> I'm sorry it went long. It feels like it went long. No, that was good. I love this. I'm I'm excited to talk about all the rest of them now. Um, so something that we are going to do from now going forward is choose a most punk rock moment or character in the episode. So, Alan, do you have your most punk rock? I felt the most punk rock that I felt in the episode is mm-hmm. where Lucy like goes out of her window at her home and like climbs down that was and ex- is like yep. off to London. That was that's me. That that was my choice too. Yeah. Lucy climbing out her window. That's it, man. That's the most punk rock. Ugh. I Your mom slaps you in the face, you you're go start out. a band in London. Yeah, that's exactly. what you gonna do. <laughs> Perfect. I'm so glad we were in sync on that. all right so that wraps up our discussion on episode one if you have a different most punk rock moment you can reach out to us on twitter at lockwood podcast um or you can find me on twitter at inferior caitlin you can send us an email at contact at hollowedgroundmedia.com or you can go to our contact page at hollowedgroundmedia.com and remember adults are useless That's right.